Good morning. I'll be reading uh, from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 from the ESV this morning. I uh, welcome you to follow along in your own Bibles. Hear now the word of Almighty God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire and a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of Almighty God. You may be seated. Well, we are blessed this morning to turn once more to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 12. I invite you to turn there now with me. We'll be looking at verses 33 through 37. And I'm going to assume, um, before we uh, dive into this text, that everybody in this room knows what an echo is. You know that if you shout into a, a canyon or, or a cave or a, a concrete bunker or something like that, uh, you hear uh, in, in your own voice uh, those words coming back to you. Um, the, the scripture reminds us this morning that our words, uh, in, in fact, all of the words we've ever spoken, um, echo endlessly into eternity in a sense, our words uh, in our own voice uh, will be a basis by which we are judged by God. 
Our own words will testify for us or against us before God. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 37, for by your words uh, you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. What a a sobering reality this is uh, for people like us who on average will speak um, 10,000 or more words a day. Some of you, many, many more than that. Uh, Some of you not nearly as much as that. But, but that's an average. Each of us every day is assembling a, a catalog or a record of words. And, and a day of judgment is coming, says Jesus, uh, in which um, the, the state and destiny of the soul uh, will be revealed by the nature of this full catalog of our words spoken in our lifetime. Uh, Every word follows you like an endless echo, says Jesus, in that sense. Now, we we need to understand what he means by this, don't we? Let's read together now, or I'll I'll read it, and maybe you just follow along and listen in. Matthew 12 and verse 33, the words of our Savior Jesus. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you you will be condemned. Surely, we need to understand these truths in their immediate context. Who is Jesus speaking to here? Uh, And then we need to understand these truths in the the larger context of the rest of our Bibles. How does Jesus' teaching here uh, fit into uh, what we know from God's word about justification and condemnation. And, and only then, and then only with God's help, uh, will we understand and, and respond rightly to the teaching of our Savior. And so I, I want us to just remember um, the, the immediate context here. What, what is happening here in this part of Matthew 12. Well, Jesus has had an encounter with the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders. Um, They saw Jesus uh, cleanse a demon-possessed man, uh, a man captive to the enemy of souls. Uh, His mind and will and affections and thinking and and behaviors had been under demonic control. Uh, He's unable to speak. Uh, he, he had been unable to see, and, and Jesus came in power and evict, evicted that demon. And Jesus, in great power, um, recreates this man's eyes so that he can see. And Jesus, in great power, restores and renews the tongue and you know whatever else is going on in our bodies that enables speech. A son of Adam ravaged by sin's curse, 
is set free, body and soul, uh, by the power of Christ alone. And we saw last week when we looked at that part of Matthew 12, this was a, 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 an indisputable and, and mind-boggling display of Jesus' divine power. But the Pharisees, what did they do? Well, incredibly, they attributed Jesus' good work, his body and soul liberating work, uh, not to God, but to Satan. You remember that from last week? Please tell me you remember this. Okay. Um, and, and we wondered when we looked at verses 22 through 32 of Matthew 12, how, how do you explain that? I mean, how do, how, do, how do you explain religious people, people who know their Bibles and, and go to church in that sense, people who actually lead the church, how do you explain them, these Pharisees, using blasphemous words like that? Attributing the works of God to Satan. And Jesus in the text this morning comes to us and he says, well, it's, it's not that complicated. Such venomous, blasphemous words simply betray the reality of the speaker's hearts. The Pharisees' blasphemous words betray their heart's true allegiance. As it turns out, Anyone's words betray their heart's true allegiance. And you, you could even personalize that. I did. Um, my words reveal my heart's true allegiance. Says who? Says Jesus. Either make the tree good, verse 33, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And, you know, we're, we're so familiar with this word picture uh, from creation and, and, and horticulture. We, we want to be careful not to miss uh, the, the, the simple but, but foundational truth here. The nature of something determines the fruit it produces. Not complicated. An apple tree produces apples, not, not, not oranges or figs. God the Son, in his humanity only did and said that which was good. Only did and said that which glorifies the Father. Only did and said that which benefited man. Because that is the very nature of Jesus, the Son of Man. How then can these religious leaders in first century Galilee say that Jesus was bad? How, how could they say that his good work was, was, a, was a byproduct of attachment not to God, but, but Beelzebul, Satan? Good fruit doesn't come from bad trees. Bad fruit doesn't come from good trees. So, so the bad fruit of, of blasphemous words comes from a bad tree. Meaning what? Not a tree of God's own planting. Not a tree attached to and nourished by God. Not, not a tree that is therefore um, able uh, to bear any good fruit for God. By the way, 
the word that is translated make in that verse, either make the tree good or, or its fruit good, make the tree bad, is not a command, you know, something that you and I can do uh, or should do. It, it's, a, it's a figure of speech. Um, make the tree good, make the tree bad. In other words, consider the good tree and then conclude what, what kind of fruit does it produce? When you ask someone, what do you make of this? You're, you're not asking them to make something. You're asking them to consider this and then conclude something about this. Parents say to their children, hey, make up your mind about what you want for dinner. You're not asking them to make dinner. You're asking them, hey, do, do you want dino nuggets for the 11th time this week? Is that where this is going? Make up your mind. Consider the blasphemous words of the Pharisees. What do you conclude? Listen, consider the nature of the speech that generally comes out of your mouth. What does that conclude about the nature of who you are? The person whose speech is only or mostly foul gossip, slander, bitterness, anger, grumbling, complaining, self-centered, you know, that, that person may well say, well, you know, I, I can't help it. That's just kind of who I am. They are more right than they realize. That, that is just who you am. That, that, that's saying something about who you are as a person on the inside. And I, 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 I'm not freelancing here. This is not my material says the guy who talks a lot. Well, obviously, for these Pharisees, there's, there's something wrong at their core with, with their hearts, d despite outward appearances, d d despite the fact that they cleaned up really well for others, despite their very religious lifestyles, their, their very respected positions in um, the religious life of their, of their community, um, their hearts were not hearts that beat with love toward God. Th there is an intimate, unavoidable connection, Jesus says, um, between the, these blasphemous words and, and the nature and state of, of their hearts. You're hearing this. And friends, there is an intimate and unavoidable connection between what you say, what I say, and the nature and true state of our hearts. And that's why James says in his epistle, look, you guys should think deeper thoughts about this whole two ears, one mouth thing. Think of the ratio that that implies. Verse 34, Jesus says to the Pharisees then, don't miss that, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? Uh, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Um, th th this principle then exemplified uh, by the Pharisees is, is true for, for all people. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Now, we, we want to be careful with this that we don't get things backward here. 
in, in light of what uh, we, we just remembered at the communion table, of the sufficiency of Christ uh, to atone for all of our sin, all, all of our careless words. No one merits or earns God's favor by using certain types of good words. If I, if I just say all of the right things from here on out, God will save me. No one loses God's favor by speaking the other kind of words, bad words. Of, man, if I, I hit my hand with a hammer and, and say something wrong uh, one more time, you know, uh, the, the, the deal is off. That's not what this text is talking about. Jesus is simply saying that the nature of our souls is reflected ultimately in what comes out of our mouths. The words all people speak are intimately connected to the nature and state of their souls. The Pharisees are sick in their hearts. It shows up in what they say. And they had bottled up their hatred and jealousy for Jesus for so long. And they'd played the part of, of really pious religious guys. Um, it, it, it's just that um, eventually the dam broke. And how many of you know that that's always what happens when, when we, we engage in the, the, the self-effort, you know, trying to do righteous things in our own strength by our own thinking. You know, sin management is what the Pharisees' lives were all about, um, it always breaks down at some point and the true nature is revealed. Says who? Says Jesus. And so even as Christians, our, our battle to control the tongue, anybody else here battling to control the tongue? Even as Christians, our battle to control the tongue it is not fought primarily by focusing only on our word choices. It's, it's a matter of the heart. Remember, James said no one can control the tongue. To be able to do so perfectly would make you a perfect person. So, so don't focus first and foremost on the tongue, but the heart. You, you think of it this way. Are you listening? Think of it this way. If you get a full glass of water and somebody bumps into you, what spills out of the glass? See how complex this is? See, see what deep theology this is? Whatever's in it is what spills out. That's what Jesus is saying. When your heart is full of self, worldliness, base desires, earthly priorities, you, you might be able to fake it for a while, trying to sound religious and, and look pious and all of that, or maybe like the Pharisees, uh, we might be able to fake it for a long while in, for the sake of public appearances. They were, they were all about public appearances. Showmanship, after all, is the currency false teachers trade in. But at some point, what your heart is really filled with, overflowing with, um, comes out of your mouth. So the, the Pharisees' venomous words toward Jesus and about Jesus betrayed them as vipers, 
by the way, what, what's a, you know, a viper is a poisonous snake, right? What's, what's a brood of vipers? Well, a, a brood of vipers reproduces more vipers, right? Um, the ungoverned tongue, the, the tongue that is held captive by the enemy of souls, Satan, uh, the, the, the tongue that is, is held captive by sin and self, uh, unsurrendered to God, reproduces its kind. Parents, listen. Grandparents, listen. Words matter. An angry spirit, a critical spirit, a self-centered, self-righteous spirit revealed in the words that we speak at home or in the workplace or, say, in the car on the way to church um, reproduces in kind among our children. So not only does the nature of something determine its fruit, the nature of something reproduces its own kind. Again, these, these things are not complex. They're revealed to us in, in creation itself. Well, that's the context of Matthew 12. And you'd think we, we would be ready to, to end, but we're not. Uh, what, what's the context of the rest of Scripture? Think about this. Adam and Eve planted in Eden, uh, created by God to speak and sing his praises, to, to represent him as, as, his, as his regents, if you will, in his world. Um, Satan, the serpent, uh, used his deceptive words, his, his, his uh, demonic words, really, to derail all of that. So, so that all sons of Adam, all, all daughters of Eve, are now born uh, bound by the strong man, says Matthew 12. And yet God even then promised that he would send the one stronger still. Amen? God planted his people Israel in the world, expecting Israel to bear good fruit for him, speaking his truth, uh, speaking his praises, um, shining like a light of right relationship with God to the nations, to the Gentiles. And, and God even provided the perfect environment for that to happen in a sense. Fallen people in a fallen world, but, but Israel collectively called to that unique covenant relationship with God, uh, Israel given the, the, the law and the prophets, Israel given the temple, Israel given the sacrifices and all of that. God says in Isaiah 5, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I hoped for it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? How many of you know when God asks a question, it's not because he needs the answer? He's not looking for information here. Um, what do you make of this? I mean, consider and, and conclude as with unbelieving Israel, as with Adam and Eve, uh, when they rebelled, sin's curse has, has poisoned humanity. And, and sin's curse uh, it, it touches the soul, of course, but it, it touches every part of our, our being, our bodies. It even affects our tongues, what we, our minds, what we choose to say. 
so that our very purpose uh, to glorify God with our, with our actions, with our words even, is poisoned. Listen, and unless there's a change from the inside, our very nature, we will not change in any genuine way on the outside. Like Israel, in times past, we will continue to produce worthless grapes. Even Israel's crummy shepherds could not and did not bring about this change through their leadership. Listen to what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. Many shepherds have ruined my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my desired portion a desolate wilderness. Here is Jeremiah prophesying the very thing Uh, the very kind of spiritual barrenness that characterized um, God's people, Israel, in Jesus' day. The the, the same barrenness that that Job uh, lamented in, in all of humanity. Remember, Job is the one who said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? And then just in exasperation, he says, no one. Isaiah in his prophecy, not only lamented the sad state of, of God's fallen people Israel, but, but looked ahead uh, to an ultimate redemption uh, of God's Israel in Christ. This is Isaiah 27. In that day, Yahweh will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great and mighty sword. In that day, a vineyard of delight, sing of it. I mean, all of a sudden, there's this vineyard that uh, is precisely, is doing precisely uh, the purpose that God had planted it for. God's gonna turn bad trees into good trees. He's gonna turn bad vines into good vines, and of course, Isaiah's prophecy finds its ultimate fulfillment Um, in the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem the scripture uh, speaks of. You know, one day the kingdoms of this world will have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever, the scripture says. But here's the thing. Jesus said what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This kingdom of righteousness even now is breaking into humanity in the work of Jesus Christ, in the gospel. So so both of those prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, are looking down uh, the road of redemptive history and they're seeing what what we're reading of here in Matthew 12, um, the miraculous renewing and recreating work of God the Son is getting underway. Jesus is still changing people, isn't he? And, and, and he's not just moving the furniture around so that things look a little better. He's changing people from the inside out. Have, have you been changed from the inside out? Are you still moving the furniture around? Who enables good trees to bear good fruit? The fruit of the Spirit of God including words that are, can be spoken under the influence of the Spirit of God, our king can. Jesus can. 
And he's doing this still today. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that. But the, the Pharisees just could not accept uh, that this Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, God's promised Messiah, God's promised deliverer. And so uh, maybe even more importantly, though, they cannot accept the loss of their personal prestige and, and popularity among the people. And so they deny the plain evidence of Jesus' miracles and teaching as being sourced in God. And, and in blaspheming Jesus, they betray the true state of their hearts. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And then verse 35, you still with me? The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Treasure, you know, thesaurus sounds a lot like the word thesaurus. Um, a thesaurus is a, is a treasury of words, isn't it? Um, your heart then is a, is a place of deposit, a, a treasury of your thoughts, your attitudes, your ambitions, your priorities, your values, all of your loves, your loyalties. In other words, your true nature. John MacArthur, in, in his commentary on Matthew, puts it this way. He describes the heart as the reservoir from which the mouth draws its expressions. I like that. And you see, it's not until I receive a new heart from God that I can have any hope of speech that Jesus would equate with good fruit. What I really treasure in my heart shows up in what I do, shows up even in what I say. So bad fruit in this passage is not referring simply to um, swear words, you know, that's where, although it would include profane words. But listen, words that will condemn people at the judgment are words that flow from an unregenerate heart. Words that flow from a, a, an unredeemed Christ-rejecting heart. A, a heart that treasures what is utterly earthbound. Uh, a heart that is uh, alienated from God. Uh, from such a heart flow words that cannot be truly Godward. Uh, can, cannot flow from genuine love toward God. The, 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 the bad fruit... Uh, from bad trees, then w would include words that are just utterly earthbound and, and self-centered and self-protective and, and consumed by the concerns of the kingdom of man, not the kingdom of heaven, nor heaven's king. Hearing this, when you talk to some professing Christians these days, and you listen to their words of fear and paranoia about world events, and then you listen to their malicious words toward those who are still in bondage to the strong man, Satan. When you hear their, their undue speculation about uh, the, the end of the age and every, every Bible verse interpreted differently as the headlines in the newspapers change, how many of you know that that is not good fruit. Again, this is not my material. 
The true church, the redeemed elect people of God, is like a vineyard planted by God, constantly watered by his grace, always protected by his mercy, relentlessly enabled to be productive. You mean even in the way we talk? Yeah, yeah. We're now capable of truthful words that bless God and bless people who are made in God's image. You could put it this way, or at least I did, and so I would feel good about it if you went along with it. Um, True love for God and true love for neighbor is evident in what the king's people speak and how they speak. Who we are shows up in what we say. Now, I, I don't want to foist, a, foist a, a, a grammar lesson on you, but I, but I, I, I do want to point something out in verse 36 that I think moves us from um, Isaiah's day and Jeremiah's day and from Jesus' day to, uh, to our day. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. But I tell you, who is this you? Well, well, it's you. And, and as I read it, it's me. In other words, Jesus, you know, um, um, second person singular, Jesus is now moving away from just, you know, broadly addressing those who see this interaction with the Pharisees. And it's as if he's looking everybody in the eye uh, that, that's there hearing his words. And it's so, so it's now as if he's looking every single one of us in the eye in the, through his word. And he's saying, look, this is, this is to do with you. Now, this isn't one of those deals where you look at it and say, man, I, I hope Barney is paying attention to this. I hope he can get the tape of this thing. No, this is to do with you and me. When you belong to King Jesus, you begin to speak the king's language. The two kingdoms have a different language. Let me ask you something. Are you speaking the king's language? What in the world is that? Well, in John's gospel, John tells us that in response to Jesus' difficult teaching, teaching like this, it's difficult, um, many who had been enthusiastic fans of Jesus went back and walked with him no longer. They just tapped out. So Jesus then challenged his his inner circle, the 12, uh, about their ultimate allegiance. Are are you guys going to leave too? And Peter, of course, responded promptly, but but wisely. Listen to what Peter said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Surely those apostles, minus Judas, obviously, those apostles went on to speak Words of eternal life, gospel words, kingdom words to their world in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they they spoke the king's language. Likewise, you and I, we are privileged to be those, those of us who know Jesus, who speak words of eternal life, gospel words, kingdom words. Uh, We're called to speak the king's language in our world. In other words, the the, the Bible is telling us this morning, look, um, 
people who don't know the Lord who listen to you talk, at some point, your speech itself is going to out you as one of the Jesus people. And that is a wonderful thing. It is not contrived. Well, what, what about just everyday normal words when we're not literally sharing gospel truth with somebody? How do, how do the king's people speak with one another? Well, listen to Ephesians 4. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has graciously forgiven you. I want to just bring this full circle before we close. You, you remember the, the business about the echo. We all know what an echo is. Um, our words will echo into eternity in that sense. So how do we square that with the scriptures that tell us that we're justified solely uh, on the basis of the work of Christ for us? Are, are we not credited? with all of his perfect words? The answer is yes. I know in Sunday school when you were younger, the answer was always Jesus, but for that one, the, an the answer is yes, all right? Um, did he not take upon himself the wrath of God for every careless, worthless, profane word, hypocritical word I've ever spoken? Yes, okay. Look at verse 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So we want to be careful not to turn this into some sort of um, theological Rubik's Cube. What, what is justification? To be justified is to be declared righteous by God himself. This is the miracle of salvation. That by simple faith... In the work of Christ alone, God declares us, justifies us as those who have lived his righteous life. But listen, the tree bears the fruit it was created to bear. The Christian bears the fruit he or she has been recreated in Christ to bear. You know a tree by its fruit. How many of you know Jesus did not uh, come into this world to simply save us from our sins judiciously, judicially, sorry, um, in a way that doesn't affect us in terms of how we live our lives? Call his, name, call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins, meaning out of their sins. Jesus has bound the strong man. He's the one who's stronger still. And he's now plundering, meaning he is redeeming all that was lost in sin. The heart bent 
towards sin and self uh, in, in Christ is, is now being plundered for the glory of God. So, so that good fruit, uh, including good root words, uh, manifest or, or bear evidence of our justification. I know, does that make sense? You're not just saying that because you're looking at your watch? Puritans like John Owen and Jonathan Edwards spoke of um, declared justification and manifested justification. Me- meaning what? Um, God giving proof of his people's justification by how our lives are changed. I prefer alliteration, so I, I would call it declared justification is always a displayed justification. It shows up in what we look like. It shows up in what we say. The proof is in the pudding, right? A Christian then, in reality, acts like a Christian, talks like a Christian, however imperfectly. So, so, so let me just end with this, sort of. Close to the ending. Make the tree good. Let's consider... And, and then let's conclude. Your sin, Christian, has been judged in Christ. Amen? Jesus went to that cross and was punished by God for every worthless, crummy, corrupt, profane, hypocritical, sinful word you've ever spoken so that you will never be condemned by God for those things. And if that is not exciting to you, as, as someone who thinks about how he uses, how she uses her 10,000 or 20,000 words a day, um, check your pulse. This is the best news ever. But the Christian does live toward a day of judgment. Not a judgment for sin, a judgment for reward. Paul tells the Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. For for, for the Christian then, uh, my words that are worthless by God's measure in this life, any of those kinds of words, will now be worthless in terms of reward on that day of judgment. Again, Paul to the Corinthians, each man's work will become evident for the day will declare it because it is revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You know, when we, when we speak the king's language, we, we know we, we do so because he's given us a new nature. He, he's enabled us by his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And incredibly, what a scandal is the gospel. Incredibly, he will reward his people for the good fruit that he himself has enabled. How generous is your God? How generous and kind is my Savior? Speaking of the, of the Puritans, let me just end with this, for, for real. T- Thomas Boston says this, 
Not a single word spoken for God and his cause in the world out of love for him will be forgotten. They are all carefully recorded and will be, re- and will be presented as evidence of faith and one's relationship with Christ. Everybody here knows what an echo is. What does your echo sound like? What does it say ultimately about the real you, your, your, your inner nature? As you, as you consider these things, what, what do you conclude? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. for this teaching that reassures us that when you invade our lives and set us free from Satan's grip, you don't just set us in the corner and declare us yours. You move in and you start to change everything, including the way we speak, so that good trees produce good fruit for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would bring that change, that inner change among us this day. I pray that you would save sinners today. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that work through your word in in the power of the Spirit to change us, Lord, to make us more like our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.